Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end, You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Everything looked hopeless. That's how the 6th century book of Daniel that we've been studying, that we've now reached the last chapter of, that's how it began. Hi, my name's Howard. It's my privilege to lead Westminster Chapel. The southern part of Israel, you see, had been invaded. The Babylonians had come. These brutal Babylonians had invaded. They subjugated the capital city, Jerusalem. Capital H, hope, the kind of hope that you can really count on, was in very short supply. Maybe you can relate to that. Have you felt uncertain about the future for our world? especially yourself, your place in it, in light of the global pandemic we're living through? Have you, like me, kind of slipped in and out of just there's quite a, a high degree of worry, frankly, about the future? Well, chapter 12 has a great message for you. Relax. Find your rest in God. I'm going to unpack that with three points today. First, God has a plan. Second, God has a purpose. Third, God has a place for you. And if you can get hold of those points, they'll help you to live by faith rather than fretting about what the future holds, even when it is very frustrating. So here's the first point. 
God has a plan. That plan is deliverance. Verse one, your people shall be delivered. I believe that Daniel was slipping into discouragement. This vision of which chapter 12 is a part of is one single vision over three chapters that begins in Daniel chapter 10. And at the start of that chapter, Daniel receives a report that makes him distraught. And so he prays and he fasts to seek God. What is he so upset about? It's hearing the news of what's happened. The people of God have finally, after 70 years, been able to be returned home and they have begun this God honoring because they had sinned against God before but now they're beginning this God honoring temple rebuilding work only because of persecution and opposition has been frustrated that's the immediate context and if we look at verse 1 of chapter 12 as well it takes us back to chapter 11 and chapter 11 through these words at that time is all about that time of persecution and opposition Under these four beasts, these four kingdoms, which are described in chapter 11 and go back to Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 again. It's the times of trial and suffering that the people of God will experience under the Babylonians, under the Medo-Persians, under the Greeks, and particularly under this this anti-Christ prototype, Antiochus Epiphanes, and then under the Romans. I believe that the last five verses of Daniel chapter 11 are about the Roman Empire and the suffering that the people of God will experience under their occupation. Persecution and suffering is a key theme. So what does God do? God knows that this is going to happen. What does God do? God is working to bring about deliverance. He immediately releases archangel Michael, powerful angel, to go and fight for the people of God. I tell you, you are not alone. God is working to bring about extraordinary deliverance for his people. See, in response to the hopeless dismay of the way that the book of Daniel begins, Jerusalem besieged, God brings about his plan of deliverance, but it's different than you might expect. It's four teenagers who are forced marched hundreds of miles. When they get there, they are castrated. They are plunged into a foreign and alien culture. I tell you, if you were a betting person, a gambling person, you would not bet on them, but God does. They are the mustard seed sowing of his kingdom coming to Babylon. They choose to live off less, not to eat of the king's food, to live off less, to show the Babylonians, that in their God, there's always more. There's always more. That's Daniel chapter one. God delivers them. In that trial, he delivers them. He delivers them from the fiery furnace, Daniel chapter three. He delivers Daniel himself from the lion's den. He delivers the entire nation from the Babylonians through the Persians coming, Daniel chapter five, and so on. This is a book that screams and shouts, God is in control. He will deliver you. You are not alone. Even when they seem to be furthest from God and without hope, he was working to bring about deliverance. History is working to tell his story. Get this. God is working through the Persians to get his people back home to the place of their promised land. 
He's then working through the Greeks to establish a common language that Jesus can be can be known and understood and written about him. And then he's working through the Roman Empire to establish a roadway second to none to allow for the missionary spread and advance of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. I tell you, God is in control in the macro over all of history. That is a major message of this book. In the big stuff, but also in the small stuff, in the macro and in the micro, in your individual life. God is in control. He's working for good. If you'll trust him, if you'll trust him, believe in him, follow him. Don't believe me? Well, check out this amazing story from Greg, one of the members of our church. Morning, church. I wanted to share something from my life about how God cares about the small things. It's to do with my job. Now, many of you know that I'm a teacher, but not many of you know that at the beginning of lockdown, I felt almost certain that I was going to lose my job because I just didn't think come September that the funding would be available. So I had to find something new. Tutoring seemed like a good idea. It would fit my skills, allow me to try new things. It just felt like a good idea. So I really went for it. I sent out emails, I tried to build up a web presence, I mined my contacts, but nothing worked. No clients, nothing. I had another idea. I thought, why not offer to tutor chapel kids for free? Surely there'd be some parents who would appreciate my services during lockdown. But I had some trouble about that. I had a voice quite deep in my heart saying, Greg, why do something for free when you can get paid for it? That's crazy. But I had something else inside me. It might have been the Holy Spirit saying, Greg, serve the church, serve other people, live a bit more radically, trust God with your finances. So I did. I started teaching chapel kids for free and it went really well. The skills and the software experience that I built up from that meant that eventually paid work came along, paid tutoring. And that went really well as well. And I was growing in confidence and um, it was just really fruitful. But that's not the best thing. Not long after that, my old school got back in in contact with me. And they said, Greg, we're really sorry that your old role won't be available, but something else has come up. Have you heard of the National Tutoring Fund? The government had released funding to pay tutors to teach kids who had fallen behind during lockdown. And so my school wanted me to come back as a tutor. And so what I saw was that the skills that I'd built up whilst serving God in faith in lockdown had opened the door for my new role. God really does care about the small details and he really loves it when we trust it when we trust him with them thank you church god rescues people in distress that's who he is and what he does look at the verse they shall be delivered but it goes on to say everyone whose name is found in the book That's the book of life or the book of salvation. One preacher says it's the ultimate party list. And that's a great illustration because salvation is the greatest celebration of all. 
is your name on that list? It's a really, really important question that you need to know the answer to. Because if your name's on the list, you get verse two goes on to say everlasting life. You get to be raised from the dead. Even though you die, you will live on forever in glory in the presence of God. But if your name's not on the list, you get everlasting shame and contempt. You are separated from God and all that is good because of your sin, your wrongdoing cuts you off from him for eternity in a place that we call hell. But the good news is you don't have to beg, borrow or steal to get your name on this list. You just have to believe in Jesus to, to turn from sin and to trust in Jesus. There's no real other answer to the problem of death because the problem of death is a result of the penalty of sin, of wrongdoing. We must be judged for our wrong. Otherwise, there is no justice in the universe and God isn't just. There's no other solution to this problem of death. No other ultimate answer to it except for Jesus. And right now, we're living in a society that has become increasingly more aware of death because of the coronavirus. I would say that's at least one good thing that has come out of this very difficult time. It's brought us face to face with the reality that one day every one of us will die. You will, you will die. And I'm not saying this to rile you up. I'm saying it to ready you, that you would make the right choice, not when the time comes, but right now. So you get to live in the goodness of that choice now in this immediate moment. I, we, Westminster Chapel, God himself, we don't want anyone to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. Choosing this way, the choosing to follow Jesus, it's the wisest thing that you could ever do. That's why the people of God, if you look in the passage, they're consistently called wise. Wise because a holy reverential fear of God that brings us to humility, to surrender our lives, to trust him for salvation. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. I want to encourage you to do the wise thing right now, to pause this service and to fill in the form to find out more about what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus. If you don't know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your name is written in that book, then I encourage you, get in contact with us. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to bring you that sense of assurance, which is available through faith in Jesus. God is in control. He's working to bring deliverance from the penalty, the power and the pollution of sin. Jesus Christ, God himself comes. He is what Daniel chapter two describes as this stone not cut by human hands because he's not of human origin. He's from heaven. He's God himself. Come. He is called the cornerstone. He's the new temple. Come in the Roman era to destroy sin forever. That's what he does on the cross. He dies to take the penalty of sin. He takes it on himself so we don't have to experience it. And he's raised from the dead to prove that the penalty has been paid. It is sufficient. God is in control and his plan is to deliver. That's the first point. The second point is that God has a purpose. Many of us easily miss God's good purpose because we are so conditioned to be pessimists 
a lot of us are actually very pessimistic. We are trained by the Western culture that we live in to fear the worst, to prepare for the worst, whether that's to avoid just being disappointed or to make sure that we're ready for disaster if, when it comes. And so we look at suffering very, very negatively, 100% horrible. But it's interesting that whilst we seek to shun and avoid it, and our culture is telling us to do that, yet our superheroes and our Disney characters, those we're given as role models, have been fantastically forged through trial and suffering, from Batman to Belle. God has a purpose in suffering. Verse 10, it is purification for power. Let's look at this verse in more detail. Many shall purify themselves. That's sanctification. It means growing in godliness and make themselves white and be refined. Has a parallel. Let's look at that on screen. Chapter 11, verse 35. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made white. I believe this purification for power so that chapter 12, verse 3 says we shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Think about how Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego through the fiery furnace helped turn proud, arrogant King Nebuchadnezzar towards righteousness. Or think about the bright light shining forth of Daniel's witness to King Darius from the lion's den. Maybe you were put on enforced furlough and you didn't like it very much. But actually, by the grace of God, it's turned out to be the holiday that you desperately needed that you didn't know you wanted. You've been able to unplug and press into God more, to trust him more. People have noticed a change in you, a deeper assurance, a more persistent hope. And who knows how many, little by little, you might be leading to righteousness in this time. Right at the start of the coronavirus outbreak, God spoke to me that he was purifying his church for power. Right now, God, I believe, wants us, wants you to repack your suitcase for mission with him. What is he challenging you to take out of that suitcase? What is that heavy, dead sin weights that you're carrying around? For Joseph, it was arrogance. For Moses, it was anger. What is it for you that he wants to get out of that suitcase to make you be able to move more effectively for mission and shine even brighter for him? And what do you need to pack or repack in again to that suitcase? The fruit of the spirit. Is it more love, joy, peace, or maybe for you, it's self-control? God is calling us through suffering to grow in sanctification to dignify the trial, to surrender to it in order to be strengthened by it and to be sanctified, to be made holy through it. So we've looked at two points so far. God has a plan. God has a purpose. The final point, the third point, is that God has a place, eternal rest. For the second time in this chapter, God says to Daniel, verse 13, go your way. Go about what you're doing, Daniel. Keep going. Keep being faithful without fretting or worrying. Relax. That's how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. Notice the strength of the language. You shall rest. No mincing of words. This is absolute definite. I don't think this is just talking about a 
peaceful death for Daniel. I believe his ultimate rest. Daniel, you shall rest. People of God, you shall rest. You'll be able to rest from your kingdom work. You'll be able to rest from resisting temptation and assimilation. You'll be able to rest joyfully in my presence forever. Daniel, you will get to stand on the new heavens and earth in your allotted place. That's what I believe God is saying. There's a great parallel to this in John's biography about Jesus in chapter 14, this first century account of Jesus's life. And Jesus says to his troubled and anxious disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. Wow. He's saying, I'm going to the cross to suffer in agony, to prepare a place, to make a way to the father, to undo sin, to take the punishment upon myself so that you can live with us, the Godhead in eternity forever. Wow, there is a day coming when God will judge the living and the dead. Well, he will right every wrong. Well, he will undo the curse of sin in this world. And those who trust him and believe in him, they get to enjoy this heaven and earth coming together, this glorious paradise forever. One of my favourite ways that this is described is by John Piper in a beautiful poem. And it's been about... 18 months since I've used it in a message. So I feel it's about time that we heard it again. The mystery of sovereign will gave leave and it began to spill in tears upon his bloody sword for one last time. And then the Lord wiped every tear away and turned to see his bride. His heart had yearned for thousand years for this, his face shone like the sun and every trace of wrath was gone. And in her bliss, she heard the master say, watch this. Come forth, all goodness from the ground. Come forth and let the earth redound with joy. And as he spoke, the throne of God came down to earth and shone like golden crystal full of light and banished once for all the night and from the throne a stream began to flow and laugh and as it ran it made a river and a lake and everywhere it flowed a wake of grass broke on the banks and spread like resurrection from the dead and in the twinkling of an eye the saints descended from the sky and as as I knelt beside the brook to drink eternal life I took, a glance across the golden grass and saw my dog, <laughs> old Blackie fast. As she could come, she leaped the stream almost and what a happy gleam was in her eye. I knelt to drink and knew that I was on the brink of endless joy. And everywhere I turned, I saw a wonder there. A big man running on the lawn. That's old John Young with both legs on. And there's old Beryl and Arnold too. Still holding hands beneath the blue and crystal sky. No stoop. They stand erect. No tremor in their hand. The blind can see a bird on wing. The dumb can lift his voice and sing. The diabetic eats a will. The coronary runs uphill. The lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the cancer-ridden bone is clear. Arthritic joints are light and free, and every pain has ceased to be. 
and even sorrow deep within and every trace of lingering sin is gone. And all that's left is joy and endless ages to employ the mind and heart to understand and love, love the sovereign Lord who planned that it should take eternity to lavish all this grace on me. O oh, God of wonder, God of might, grant us some elevated sight of endless days and let us see the joy of what is yet to be. And may your future make us free and guard us by the hope that we, within the light of candle three, your glory will forever see. This is the true Narnia, Lothlorien and Arendelle combined. What? You're not sure about that? Well, how could sinful minds create such such worlds that will be better than what God has planned for us when no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind is said to be able to imagine the good that God has prepared for those who love him. Which prompts that question again. Do you know for sure that that's your destiny because your name is written in the book? The only way to be sure you can enter paradise is to believe upon the person of Jesus Christ. The problem though for many of us as Christians who are seeking to follow Jesus is that we end up walking fearfully and instead of faithfully because we are fretting over the kind of questions of verse 6. How long, O Lord? When's it going to happen? What's going on? We get fixated about when rather than just focusing in on the will. It is going to happen rather than when it will happen. And so we lose our way. We're a little bit like those disciples who gathered together before Jesus ascended. It's described in Acts chapter one. And they're fretting and thinking about the when. They ask Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? How does Jesus respond? Doesn't answer them simply says this, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I could say it's not for you to know what time, times and half a time exactly means. It probably is a hyperlink back to the final half week of Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. You can geek out on that later. It's also, I think, acceptable for me to say it's not for you to know what, 1,290 days becoming 1,335 days exactly means. It does have a meaning, but it's not for us to know just yet precisely what that meaning is, in my opinion, except that it's longer than the stated time and therefore more persevering patience is going to be required. Jesus is trying to redirect his disciples from when and when that restoration is happening, he's got a contrasting but in Acts chapter one, verse eight. But when you receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my disciples in Jerusalem and so forth to the very ends of, of the world. But when you receive power, when, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be disciples on mission. You're going to be the agents bringing about this restoration to reveal this restoration. The point is begins with you right where you are at, your Jerusalem, where God has put you right now. This is the point. 
Don't lose heart. Don't give up when the going gets tough. There is hope. God is in control. He's got a plan, a purpose and a place, especially for you, for you. He wants to take all of that secular pessimism and replace it with divine optimism. Victory is not nowhere. Victory is now here because God delights to bring victory out of nowhere. And he chooses to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise. He chooses four teenagers to come on mission for him. He wants to work through you. You are not disqualified. God is seeking to empower you by the Holy Spirit to be his ambassador for his glory. That we together at Westminster Chapel, we might see hundreds of lives transformed as we shine more brightly, as we are purified, sanctified, conformed more into the image of his son to go about on this great mission of deliverance for him. God is in control. The whole book of Daniel is screaming and shouting that at us from every page. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the amazing 19th century preacher describes that the control of God, this doctrine of the sovereignty of God, he says it's like a pillow that every child of God should rest their head on when they sleep at night, bringing perfect peace. I want to go further and say that it is the very foundation beneath your feet, that it is this peace that surpasses knowledge that can fill your mind and heart. This is what will take away the worry and the fretting and will help you to rest and live by faith. You can truly experience this rest in God when you know that one day you will rise with him in glory. Hallelujah. Lord God, we thank you so much that you came to die for us We thank you for your victory at the cross over sin, sickness, suffering and death, Lord. And we'd ask you to help us to live victorious lives, lives that are full of hope. God of hope, come and fill us up now that we might catch hold of your plan, of your control over all things, of your purpose of purifying our hearts, conforming us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And that we might know with absolute assurance and confidence that you have a place for us in this new heaven and earth, glorious paradise. Help us to see it, to believe it, to trust you for it. May it stir our hearts to keep going on, boldly serving you right where you've placed us. For your glory we pray. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.